Hi, this is Anna, and this is Check It at the Round Table, where we discuss movies, books, music, and stuff. Today we are discussing Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 9, Et in Arcadio Ego, Part 1. This episode is about when um, Picard and Sojai arrive at their homeworld with the crew, and the thing about this episode is it kind of deals with the synthetics point of view on things and how things did not go well as Picard's trying to handle this. And I don't really think it's his fault. I mean, you know, the issue is is that this planet is entirely populated by synthetic life forms, which is kind of cool, except for one who is actually the, uh, what you would call like, fake brother of Data, because he's who Data was modeled after by his father. But anyway, he's the one who's kind of built up this community of synthetic life forms. The only problem is that the life forms are capable of independent thought, but that they're mainly bent on self-preservation, which I would like to see as a very synthetic thing, but actually it's a pretty human thing. I mean, if you put most people in a bad situation, they're going to save themselves before they save other people. That's one of the things I don't like about humanity, because I'm going, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, if you know you did your best, some things are worth dying for, especially if you know someone else who needs to live is living. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, life is is a temporal thing, and you do your best, and you make your best shot with it. I'm just saying. So, yeah, you know, but self-preservation is a very big problem in this episode with the synthetics trying to save themselves from the humans, which means that they want to go out and conquer the rest of the planets and destroy all humans because humans want to destroy strengths. So there's a big misunderstanding here, although I do understand the logic here because I'm going, the humans did want to destroy the synths. So in theory, if they found the planet, they would destroy all the synths. Now I'm hoping as a morally cognizant synth with a good ideology, you'd sit there and go, there's not very many synths, and it'd be better for even all the synths to die than for them to kill all of humanity. I mean, just from a simply logical standpoint of population, and if you kill all the humans, there will be no humans left, and synthetics can be rebuilt. I'm just saying, not to be weird here or macabre, I'm just being honest. So, you know, none of the synths are having this kind of um, conversation. Their ability to think doesn't seem to be very high level. I mean, at least from what I'm seeing in this episode, it's kind of like they're, what I would call kind of like the kids that you have that are between like 13 and 15. And I don't mean all kids, because I've met 13 and 15 year olds who are really, really cognizant on the ball humans. But I've also met some that are, I'm going, they're kind of hormone crazed. They're not thinking very straight. And the decisions that they make, it's a good thing that they have adults around or they might not be here. I mean, I'm not trying to be bad here. I'm just saying, you know, when hormones rage and you're a kid and you're not really figuring out the whole thing about cause and effect quite yet, it can be really scary. So this is kind of where the synths are at, in my opinion. They're kind of, they're not kids, but they're not quite adults yet. I mean, you know, it's kind of like in Lars and the Real Girl when the brother says you're an adult, when you try to do the right thing, they're not there yet. They haven't tried to do the right thing. I mean, they're not even trying to diplomatically deal with this. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that the ones that were discovered on the spaceship that were destroyed by the captain of the other starship, that was a diplomatic mission and that didn't go too well for them. So, you know, I do get that point, but I'm just saying they're not trying to do the right thing. They're mainly bent on saving themselves and then they'll repopulate the planets with synths, which I'm going, 
that's kind of lame to be quite honest. That's like the easy way out of dealing with the situation and not a very good option. So anyway, Picard is actually locked up in his in a room here as he's trying to deal with this. Um, the roboticist who turn-coded is trying to do the right thing now, which, I mean, I'm glad for her. It's a good thing. She also got out of that mind meld, so, you know, maybe we can blame some of her behavior on that. But at the end of the day, I still think you're responsible for, you know, killing the one guy that you cared about in your entire life. I mean, in a very brutal way. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not trying to be bad here, but yeah, really. So, moving on. Um, this episode is a two-part um, episode because it's an end one, so I'm going to do a review on the final episode, episode 10, Etin Arcadia. Um, the other thing is when they landed on the planets, they landed, the Borg cube landed with the awful brother spy boyfriend of Soji. I still don't know why she liked him in the first place. I'm sorry. He's just, he's lame So anyway, I'm using the L word again, but he really, there's really no other explanation for him except he's lame so, but moving on, um, they've landed on the planet, and um, so they're there, Picard's crew is there, Picard's there, and we're kind of waiting for the big disaster to fall, either through the synths bringing back the evil creatures from the past to a robotic androids, I don't know, either way works, and then also dealing with Romulan warbirds, warbirds and probably Starfleet coming to destroy and bomb the whole planet to get rid of the synths. So, you know, we've kind of got a climax here, and we're dealing with a bunch of teenagers on the planet, so it's kind of a difficult situation, and poor, poor Picard. I mean, I don't mean it weird. He's kind of, I haven't watched every single Star Trek. I mean, this may come as a shock because I love sci-fi and I'm really not into space travel, which is kind of funny, but yeah, but you know, I think he is my favorite captain I've ever seen because he's so calm about things. I mean, you know, he just sits there and he goes, huh, observo. I mean, he's kind of like the dad you kind of wish you had, but you didn't because when disaster strikes, he just goes, okay, this has happened. This is my crew. It's not like they're, hurt, they're his kids, but it's kind of like when John Shepard in Stargate Atlantis is dealing with stuff. They are his kids. I mean, let's just be honest. So, you know, Picard's there trying to deal with the synths, trying to honor the memory of Data, who would never do anything like his supposed, basically, offspring are doing. And, um, you know, he's just in that really delicate balance of saying they're going, oh boy, how do I handle a really bad situation, especially when I'm in a locked room and don't have much ability here. So, you know, I think that the one draw you can get from this is when you're down at the bottom, it might be an okay thing because there really is only one way to go. It's up. So, you know, it's kind of like if you've seen the odd life of Timothy Green when he has zero on his soccer shirt because he is so bad. He's like, the coach says, what are you doing? He says, I'm good because I can only go up. I mean, if you really suck at something, then there's always room for improvement, you know, if you want to try. So that is my review of episode 9 of Star Trek Picard at an Arcadia or Ego Part 1. And there you go. And with that, on out to check it at the round table. Bye!